This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Oi, thank you. Steve Simonson's boots now. He's missed. Steve Simonson clears the flame of the goal and collapses in a heap of tears. Huddersfield Town are promoted. Stuffer Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. Hello and welcome to a sneaky midweek version of the Andy Takes That Chance podcast. Should we be at work? Maybe. Should we be talking about town? Absolutely. I'm Matt Sean. It's my day off. And with me, who set the juice loose about this hoose? It's Bradle Juice himself, Brady Frost. You all right, Brady? I'm good, Matt. And just in case my employees are listening, this is on my lunch break. So uh, <laughs> this is my time and I spend Jeez. it recording a podcast with you. <laughs> Three o'clock in the afternoon. I thought you had a meeting. It's not really. It is true. <laughs> Um, right, so I was wondering, did were you were you enough to get the reference there for the juice loose about the hoose? Um, is that a soft drink ad? It's a, it was an old advert for some wine gums, yeah. But, uh, so there we go, show my age, show my age. Anyway, what ages very well as well, Brady, as you know, is Magic Rock Brewing, of course, and they sponsor this wonderful podcast. Uh, use our code of AHTTC10 to get 10% off all online orders at magicrockbrewing.com. And also a little bit of news as well. The reason why we're doing this today is, or one of the main reasons, is that Magic Rock have helped us purchase some new streaming software. So thankfully, there's going to be no more of that shithousery from um, Wirecast. And we can now stream in peace. And maybe, who knows, we'll bring back some of the live shows that a couple of people have been asking about. Um, you know, you can't have everything all at once. But there we go. Right, Brady. Um, Sunderland. So Huddersfield Town 
on the back of a, a a little bit of a disappointing result, really, against um, Swansea in some respects. Um, the unbeaten run went, and then we went to Sunderland, which looked like a, another tough fixture on paper as well, didn't it? Um, I think one thing I want to mention before we get into the actual game itself was um, pre-match, I went to uh, the Sunderland Fans Museum, um, and mate of mine was like going, oh, I've been told that we should go to the Fans Museum. And you kind of think, what a Fans Museum? What, what on earth? You know, you think, what's all that about? Um, but honestly, it was it was fantastic. And Huddersfield Town could really do with something similar. You, you go into this old museum and there are several little rooms and all dotted around is Sunderland memorabilia everywhere. You can obviously buy drinks in there, beers, etc. There's live music outside. Um, and you can have pictures with replicas of playoff trophies, Johnston Paint trophies. Um, there was even like on a on a mannequin down one of the corridors, uh, a nineteen seventy three replica Sunderland um, suit from the FA Cup final. I thought it was I thought it was an amazing place for as a as a football fan. I was uh, you know really sort of blown away, and I just thought, you know what, it would be amazing if Huddersfield Town had something like this because we've not really had anything have we since um, since Canal Side went um, all those years ago since the Premier League have we? But um, it would I think it would be a um, Fantastic if we could get something like that, Brady. Um, you'd go, yeah. wouldn't you? Obviously, obviously, That's we'd awesome. go to Magic Rock as well, but yeah, yeah, definitely. What are you putting in there? You're putting in the, the broom from Dizzy Penalties, you're putting in the massive Terry the Terrier head. I'd want the weird stuff as well as the you know, I'd want the old Terry the Terrier. Do you know, have you seen Ted the film Ted? Yeah, yeah. a long time ago. Have you seen the bit where that he gets the stuffing removed and they put the stuffing back in and he pretends to be all sort of like misshapen and what have you? And the, I think the first Terry the Terrier that reminds me of that scene from Ted from the 1990s would be fantastic. Just walking around in there, just got like bumbling around. But yeah, I'd definitely have that. I would have, oh, I don't know where you could have it. Maybe the golf range, the driving range. I think the hotel's fallen through, hasn't it? So you could have a really decent fan zone there and you could have like the indoor bit. You could have games for the kids in one thing. You could even have a football cage. You could have you could have all sorts going on in there. And, you know, drinks, food vendors, um, memorabilia the stuff that you know the billy smith stuff could potentially be in there. i don't know if that's a bit expensive maybe to be in there but you could you know get certainly get replicas you could have paintings drawings all sorts um on the walls and you know just make it feel like a home because at the minute i think pre post-match probably feel a bit homeless you think town fans i know mm. people have their little routines of pubs the vulcan's good in town and rat and ratchet etc all, all the other stuff magic rock of course but i think something next to the stadium would be a good place to go after Magic Rock, of course, wouldn't it? Something like that. But uh, for me, it's stuff like that. I, I loved going to Canal Side back in the day. So for me, it's um, it'd be decent. I know Cosy would be on board as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know we've talked about this quite a bit on, on both our pods. Um, and this is a great start to the Sunderland preview, in my opinion. I'm, I love talking <laughs> about stuff like this. But um, yeah, no, I think it's kind of like build it and it will come. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I, I do think people so you have do get old references. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, if if you give give people a reason to stick around, I think I think that's the thing with town and, you know, that end of town, it's a bit out of the way. I think if you did have a, a good bar in there, you know, some stuff to do, some stuff to do with, you know, for families, people would stay around. I, I think there's not a lot of incentive to stay around unless you're going to get a Costa or you're off to see a film, you know, and who's <laughs> I don't know many people who go and watch a film straight after uh, the town game so yeah it'd be great to have some more stuff down there I'm not saying we need to suddenly do what Tottenham have done you know and like build an incredible stadium but 
it'd be nice to have a few things down there. Just to... I don't know, Cosy wanted the North Stand knocking down and rebuilding the other day. So um... yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, no. let's not get into that because that was <laughs> that was a bit interesting. But um, yeah, I think um, speaking of Cosy, he talked about that supporters bar, and you're you're kind of touching on it with the museum. You know? Yeah, he, he, I, we, we, a, I'm going to say Cosy's a raging chest in when it comes to rugby league and. He goes to Headingley to Leeds Rhinos, and you go to Headingley. I went for the World Cup games, and they have like tables and chairs. The, the concourses are bigger than Huddersfield, so they have yeah, like tables, absolutely. chairs, and TVs, and all sorts. And it's quite a, a friendly spot. So yeah, he, he gets that. And where was it he went as well? And he was absolutely buzzing with it as well. Well, Stoke, wasn't oh, the it? Stoke, well, one. Stoke, yeah. But that's I, I can see that. I mean, the thing is, like, we've got messages on the pod account, or you know, if I've been on a, um, you know, been on a. a opposition podcast or whatever they're like oh is there any way close that we can go and watch the half five game or you know can mm. we go watch the half 12 game and if you had like a supporters bar that was open to people to come and do that again it's giving people a reason to to stick around like spend more money you know like i yeah i'd be well up for it but um i think people know we'd <laughs> be well up for some stuff around the ground yeah i think you'd have to you'd have to throw the Huddersfield giants in there as well wouldn't you um because opening a bar next to a stadium where nobody goes financially might not be the best. You've seen the gas club. What's happened to the gas club? And you financially might not be the best, best thing, but I guess you can kind of open it once a week then if the giants come and then you and then it goes over the summer as well. So there are little things whereby, you know, you can maybe get things in there and a few more events, maybe at the stadium and then it could snowball, but something for the new, new owners to think about, isn't it? But Right, Brady, I can hear the voices listening to the podcast now going, talk about the football, you twats. But, you know, so let's talk about the football. Um, Sunderland. Um, I've not been to Sunderland since 1998 when it was new, when I got the supporters coach up as uh, a youngster, if you like. And um, Paul Dalton scored and I missed the goal because I went to went to the bar, went to get a drink. Uh, and then because we were useless that day, Vince Bartram made his debut and came tearing out a goal, and got lobbed and then... We'd look like absolutely nothing. Went back downstairs. Paul Dalton went on a brilliant, amazing run, scored a great goal, and then walked back up, and we never went in there half again that half, and Michael Bridges <laughs> destroyed us. Um, so that was that was fun. But, yeah, so Sunderland, the stadium itself, I I, I think Sunderland Stadium is great. I really do. The, the, the museum, the, the stadium itself, there's just little things in there which were quite good. You walk, it's quite a walk up the steps. You know, it's not quite Newcastle-esque, but you kind of go up to the top, and there's like little one-liners on the wall as you're going up like the first the first one is like this is nine steps for a normal human or one if you're peter crouch and just little little cheesy things like that up there which just kind of give you a little smile there and i i kind of liked the whole atmosphere around and you saw cosy's video didn't you where people coming out cosy had a freebie didn't he from from work so he was down in the bottom tier he was too scared to go in the upper tier we'll have to get that in for him so and he was and he'd like taken a video of like the music going in there i think there's republic is it republica and then you know the uh, the entrance music, and you know, like we say, it's the Charlie Methven's um, legacy, isn't it, from Sunderland till I die? But it was it was just a really good, and it just felt like a really good place to go watch football in Sunderland. You know, with everything, and when you go at Huddersfield, there's a lot of people like me just sort of turn up five minutes before kickoff and they're straight off. You know what I mean? And with Sunderland, you can sort of see the attraction of staying around and staying around the bars and and what have you. And I just sort of like that for Huddersfield just to roll that up. Um, but in terms of the game, um, there was a bit of a surprise, wasn't there? Jonathan Hogg, not there due to injury. Um, he'd looked a little bit ropey, didn't he, against Swansea, I think, in terms of his movement. So I'm not sure if he was carrying something into the game, uh, into that Swansea game. 
But, you know, in came David Kasumu, moved in field. And David Kasumu, mate, was somebody who, I, I honestly, I got two messages. One of them was from Josh Phillips. I won't name the other person because it's slanderous. One of them was from Josh Phillips who said um, he thought Kasumu was brilliant, you know, one of our you know, contenders for Man of the Match. And then the other one was, I don't understand what David Kasumu does. He didn't do anything. And it was so funny to see the, you know, the sort of the level, you know, from what one person saw to the other person. I respect both opinions massively. And um, so let's start with David Kasumu because obviously Sunderland's first goal, he was partly culpable, would you say? The goalkeeper was so lucky. I thought I felt Sunderland was so lucky with the breaks of the ball. Every time they shanked something, it seemed to go straight to one of their players and set them on a counter-attack. Um and this was another one, wasn't it? The goalkeeper shanks it. It could have gone anywhere. It could have gone to someone to put it in the empty net. It didn't. He went to one of their players. And then David Kasumu kind of threw himself in and left that huge space for them to run into. And then Joe Gellhart, who's not really set the world alight up at the, at the stadium of light, uh, scores a pretty decent, scores with a good goal. It's a good finish in it. But how did you see like Kasumu's performance? Because I thought he started brilliantly, faded a bit, and then came on quite strong at the end. Kasumi's an interesting one. I completely agree with you. Obviously, you could say he's at fault for the goal, but I think for that game, partly, actually, partly. Under, partly you could. I think that's if he'd been really harsh. But um, you know, we've seen we've seen under Warnock, and I've kind of gone on to Kasumi, but I actually think we've defended quite well under Warnock for quite quite a big uh, you know section of his reign. Obviously, he had the the Burnley and the Coventry game, but since then we've kind of tightened up, and I agree with you that that goal comes from it comes it comes from them shanking it like i think if that actually like is you know not a mistake and it's kind of like a free-for-all um we'd probably set ourselves up better to defend that so i don't think you can really blame kasumi for that kasumi's performance it's an interesting one because i you know when he signed we were thinking he's probably not a direct lewis o'brien replacement but there's some similarities in his game and what he can bring to the midfield and I think you, you touching on uh, the performances, uh, sorry, people's opinions in terms of, I thought it was really good or I don't understand what it brings. That's kind of how I feel like him for me. It's not what I expected him to be. You know, I think yeah. he does it's a lot of hog. good defensive work. Yeah, yeah, yeah he does it's a lot of good defensive O'Brien, work. isn't he? Yeah, definitely. And it, yeah, he does a lot of good defensive work. And I think, um, you know, the Watford game, for example, where he's getting moved to right back, he's in the mid, you know he's in the midfield. He's playing right winger defensively at one point. I think actually he can do that really well. Um, but then I think it was the it was the Blackburn game, um, and he just can't pick out a pass sometimes under pressure. Oh, yeah. And you know he's he not that player. Eleven percent passing accuracy that game. It was uh, exactly. <laughs> so I think that kind of that kind of sums it up. But look, he's a young, he's a young player who's playing in the Championship for the, for the first time, coming from League One. I think there's some things in there um, that he can improve on and. Uh, to be honest, I, I know you can make excuses for this, but we are talking about, you know, playing a lot of games in, in a short space of time. I know that's the championship, but I, I have the feeling, you know, a bit like we've seen with Rodoni and his improvement, I actually think Kasumi, with a, a season of championship games, fingers crossed we're still in <laughs> the championship next season, but I actually think you'll see a lot of improvement from him because he's one of the players I look at, same with Rodoni. You know, you look at, DR as well. There's potential. This feels like if you can work with them and coach them, you could really see them flourish. And yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel with Kasumi. I think that sums up his season. Like you say, you're talking about that Sunderland game. There were some good bits, there were some not so good bits. But, you know, ultimately, when it when the game finishes, you're like, yeah, still, still think there's something there. Still think there's something we can work with. 
I'll, I'll, I'll touch on like that incident for me. If Jonathan Hogg's in Kasimu's position, that goal doesn't happen because Jonathan Hogg mm-hmm. holds the midfield uh, and then we're a bit deeper. But having said that, I don't think I thought we were very enterprising. I thought we were very good in the opening 25 minutes. I thought we really threatened. I thought Jaheim Headley did really well down the left. His end ball wasn't quite perfect. Probably a bit nervous. Looked a little bit nervous, didn't he? But he's playing in front of those. The crowd was announced 37,000, probably about 25 in there, to be honest. But that's a big crowd for someone that's been playing mostly at Harrogate, you know, this season. And yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. So, but I, we'll, we'll talk maybe about Headley a little bit later but I thought we made a really good start and I thought the really the reason why we're allowed to do that is because Kasumu was in midfield rather than Hoggy because I think what you get with Jonathan Hoggy is because he's slowed down somewhat now to and it's trade-offs really it's not a criticism or a promotion of one or the other it's it's just the trade-offs which happens with a game with Jonathan Hogg what you get is that increased defensive solidity in front of the back line you get somebody who can organize others around him bollock them a lot <laughs> but you get you get that leader in there um and you and sometimes i feel like if hoggy's on the pitch others feel a little bit assured by it i know it's probably a silly thing to say but you just sort of you look at um you look at the way the others react around him and you know mm-hmm. i think you feel a little bit more secure with him there whereas when he's not i think when we looked at when Hoggy wasn't in the side when Fotheringham first came and we looked all at C, didn't we, in midfield? And it, it took Jonathan Hogg coming back in for us to just look a little bit more solid in there. But Kasumu in and Kasumu's speed at being able to move forward, you know, move up and down the lines allowed us to sort of stand 10, 15 yards higher and allowed us to get more of a, you know, a foothold in the final third. It was just interesting to see that it allowed us to maybe come up with a different approach and. You know, I'm not saying one one's right and one's not because it could have been a completely different game if Hogs in there and we made one. Um, but it's just quite interesting to see what each different player allows, and I suppose what you can take from that is that you can tailor your approach depending on which player that you pick now, um, which is yeah, which is more that I was trying to do. And I think if we're going to look at individual individuals, um, Brahima Diara was a really interesting, a really really interesting performance, wasn't he? He was. He was both thrilling and frustrating in sort of equal measure, wasn't he? It was sort of strange. Um, on the ball, running with the ball, he was phenomenal, wasn't he? And we talked a lot on this podcast about what Lewis O'Brien brought in terms of his dribbling and been able to, you know, Huddersfield have struggled a lot this season and been able to transition from the first third to the final third. And it's because they've not had anyone, because we can't pass our way out. We've never been able to particularly pass our way out efficiently. So what we had last year is we had Lewis O'Brien running from the edge of one box to the edge of the other with the ball um, 80 times in the season, I think it was. And that allows us to get from one end to the other. And that's kind of what Brahima, Brahima Diara brought on Tuesday. They gave him the ball and he went past two or three players, got to the edge of the Sunderland box and then gave a really simple pass away. And it was like thrilling yet frustrating. But there's excitement there with him isn't there there's something different you know and something really he brings a completely like i said talk about Yara brings a completely different dynamic and at 19 the potential he's got if he can lift his head and start picking passes could be quite frightening really isn't it but i suppose if he could lift his head pick passes stroke the ball in the bottom corner he's at man city isn't he yeah it's his performance is is really interesting i know we're having a little uh little chat about him actually after that game and 
there is so many elements where, like you say, he's one of those players when he gets on the ball and he's running at, running at people, you're like, oh, go on. Like you feel excitement, you feel like something could happen. But his decision-making, as you touched on, um, it's just that, you know, or I think, I can't remember what chance it was, but he gets played in and it, the touch is just too heavy and the keeper can smother it. Um, but yeah, he he's an exciting player. I, I think um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, when Warnock came in, you have these preconceptions where he's like, I'm just going to go for leaders. I'm going to bring in experienced lads. And it's actually quite interesting that as his, you know, um, the more games he's managed, the more he's kind of brought in Headley now and again. He's brought in DR now and again because, you know, he's obviously given Warnock something that the team needs. And DR, I think, you know, depending on what division we're in, um, you know, we, we talked about, not that there is many positives in my opinion to going into League One, but you could you could see Diara in League One causing causing defenses trouble because he's doing he's doing that in the Championship, you know, occasionally. Um, I think what's encouraging about him is that decision making. I feel that's something you can. It's difficult, but you could work certainly it, yeah. coach. Yeah, you could work with it. I think you know he's got a lot of good elements, and it's just what separates you know what kind of makes those players elite is elite is how they go you know cold you know they they're calm and they're relaxed and i think yeah. when diara you know and this is you know like he's not played like what 20, 20 games yeah. in the championship yeah it's just experience it's knowing what to do in those situations and i think he reminds me of someone who like and i imagine if i had the ability to play football i'd do something really good and then I get a bit excited and I feel like that's what Diara does. He like, you know, he does something great. He does something else great. And you're like, Oh, go on. All you need to do is do this. And he just gets a bit carried away. And I think it's encouraging because it looks like you could certainly coach that, you know, it doesn't, if you can just tell him to do the right thing or like say, get his head up and look at the passes. I feel that's something you can work with. And if, if our coaching, you know, whoever comes in, if they can nail that, I think we have an incredibly exciting player and someone who could maybe make a real impact in the championship. Do you know, I've probably been a bit harsh on him because I've just pulled up who scored.com and he's actually second in terms of passing accuracy on the day, which is oh, really? Yeah, so I'm talking nonsense. His passing accuracy is 73.9%. Um, I think it's the optics though, isn't it? Two, it's how it looks like. Yeah, I think it was because he made those runs, didn't he, to the edge of the box and there were two, I think two or three times where there was quite a simple lay-in or a simple pass to, I think it was Karoma a couple of times just to lay him in hmm. and he kind of, passed it behind, which actually goes down as an accurate pass because I think someone had to run back and, and get the ball and gather the ball. Um, and there was that one where, you know, he kind of went in with the keeper, wasn't there, which probably shouldn't have, should have gone elsewhere. But like I say, really exciting. And it's good to see him develop as well because there's games where he came on, you cast your mind back to Hull away, you know, where he probably contributed to costing as a point just by his inexperience to trying to run the ball mm-hmm. out you know, within injury time when it just needed kicking in the far corner, didn't it? And things like that. But he's, he is exciting. And uh, I kind of met him after a game. Um, I can't remember when it was. It was um, a home game. And we went into the club shop and we were just waiting for printing for the little one, you know, his name on the back of the shirt. And he came in to get something with a couple of people and got, you know, spoke to him briefly, got a picture with a really nice lad as well. And, you know, you want people like that to, to succeed, don't you, and do well. Um, so, you know, tip of the hat. I think you could, you could tip your hat, Brady. You're the hat man. So you could tip your hat to... There you go. You can tip my awful oh, hat. Look at that hair. There you go, listeners. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, hair, <laughs> I think, I think yeah, maybe we're being a bit harsh on him. But I think I think that the thing I would say is he's, he's certainly got the potential. I, I think he's an exciting player. And, you know, 
we're not. He could destroy teams single handedly, couldn't he? If if it goes if if his career goes the way it could, he could destroy teams by himself. And we're not talking League One teams, we're talking good teams he could single handedly rip to shreds out here. Yeah. And it's exciting. Definitely. It's and exciting to see young players like that. It's exciting and yeah, absolutely. And and you know, that's why you know, I know people get a bit familiar about this, but that's that's like say what well, that's why he's at town. You know, he's here to learn, he's here to develop and you know, um something I think we can all be proud of given some of the bad stuff that's happened this season is we do actually have a habit of improving young players and turning them for a profit. So um Usually not our yeah. own, usually other people's young players, aren't we? Oh <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, It'd be yeah. nice for a change, wouldn't it? <laughs> but uh, one per- one player I want to talk about, guess who was top of the passing accuracy this game? It'll probably surprise you this. Just very quickly without trying to Josh Ruffles. No, Josh Ruffles was six. Josh Ruffles did all right, actually. But uh, no, no Matty Pearson. Matty Pearson. Matty Pearson. Hey, yeah. uh, defenders well, usually are top, aren't they? Because usually just knock it in field. But but I wanted to talk about Matty Pearson because I thought he was phenomenal on, on the day. I thought he was absolutely unbelievable. I know he was up against Jack Clark, and Jack Clark's done really well for Sunderland. He's, he's, you know, he, he came, he broke through at Leeds, and he got, he got a move based on one goal, I think. I think Leeds really had the wool over with you know how much they got from Spurs for him. But he's gone out on loan a couple of times, not done a lot, and then he's gone to Sunderland and it's kind of clicked for him. And he's you know, I think they bought him for like three, four million quid, which is still quite a lot. But he's he's been outstanding for them as as Jack Clark. And he was good on the night. He went past Matty Pearson once or twice, but I thought overall Matty Pearson handled him really well. And I for me he was man of the match, Matty Pearson. He was phenomenally good. You know, he put his body on the line a number of times. The amount of blocks Matty Pearson gets through um, is you know he's quite phenomenal. Um, I'm just looking at block shots now. Tom Lee's four block shots, to be fair, on the day. Um, but Matty Pearson, I just thought was a machine that day. You know, he's not he's not a la- he's not your modern day right back, is he? He's playing right back at the minute, but he's not someone who you sort of associate with being a modern day right back. Maybe an old school Tony Pulis fullback, if you like, from his West Brom days. But he was. For me, he was he was great, and he got better as the game went on as well. And Jack Clark's um, Jack Clark's role in the game diminished somewhat as well. And Matty Pearson really got on top of him, and I thought he was outstanding. and And when we scored our goal, I thought we were well worth it. Um, it's gone to Josh Caroma, and I think we can't really talk about Josh Caroma, can we, without giving it the old uh, hang on. There we go. It's, it's, ter- it's terrible. We need to improve that sound effect. But Josh Caroma, it's it's unbelievable, isn't it? The the turnaround we we've seen the Josh Caroma from the first Carlos Corbran season, aren't we? Pretty much now. Um, when he picked that ball up, I know he was kind of on the right hand side, but I expect him to get a decent shot and with a with a strong chance of scoring. And it's taken a little deflection. Maybe we've got the luck on this occasion, and it's it's looped into the back of the net. And but it's just. It's kind of what Josh Caroma deserves, isn't it? He's just been phenomenal lately, and he's he's going, you know, he's going both ways as well at the minute. When he sort of had his lulling form, he was constantly cutting inside and shooting and doing the same thing, and he was so predictable, wasn't he? Um, but now he's going inside, he's going outside, he's coming back, he's holding the ball up, and he looks like he's absolutely full of beans, enjoying himself. He's creative, he's working hard back. You know, Neil Warnock's done a phenomenal job, and it just shows what managers have or the effect managers have on players because Josh Caroma was failing at Portsmouth wasn't he in the division below and Danny Cowley's had him twice now and didn't do a lot under Danny Cowley the first time at Huddersfield either 
and he's had him twice. Um, Carlos Corbran didn't, I think Carlos Corbran fell out with him a little bit because of his lack of work rate coming back. And then he's had, you know, we've had Mark Fotheringham come in, Danny Schofield, and no one's really fancied him. And all of a sudden, Neil Warnock's seen something. The wily old Fox has seen something. And we've got this player now who looks like a top-end championship player doing, you know, pulling teams apart, playing right, left, through the middle. And it's it's a different... Well, it's not a different player. It's the one that we thought we had two years ago, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you highlighted Pearson and and Karama there. And um, I know Tom was saying with Pearson, and I I don't disagree, but, you know, Warnock's come in and done a fantastic job. And, you know, uh, as stressful as it is, our destiny of staying in this division is in our own hands. And, you know, I would have snapped your hand off with uh, three games to go with that. But Tom made the point that Pearson, um, you know, he's as, as crucial to us, you know, this survival run as much as uh, Warnock is. And I'd also say that with Karama, like you touched on. And it's no, it's no surprise, really. Look at those two players. And, you know, one of the key, it's interesting that they're both absolutely flying. And I've, I think you'd argue when you look at the, you know, the team sheet and Thomas Bas- Baslick as well, and maybe say like, they're probably the three, you know, consistent performers who are, who are doing well for us. And it's very interesting that they're all, you know, responding well to a manager like Warnock, who's known for his man management and his belief. You know, I think when Karoma burst onto the scene at Leighton Orient, you know, just in Edinburgh, um, you know, unfortunately passed away, but he was known as a good man manager. And I think it almost, you know, completely changed the topic here, but it, it almost makes me wonder, you know, if we had Sorber, because I just feel like Sorber's a similar personality where he just, you know, he needs to feel 10 foot tall. And I feel like mm. that's what Warnock's done with with Karama, he's made him feel like, look, I know you can have those moments. Um, and we saw it even under Corbran in the second season. You know, I think of that goal he scored out of the blue against Blackpool in that 3-0 win away. Um, oh, yeah. he's one of the few players I think we have who can do something like that. And, you know, it was just the consistency, like you say. But, yeah, he's been, he's been incredible. And we talked about it, me and Tom, and when we had Stephen on the on the warm-up, um, we were saying, like, oh, is this just kind of like a contract corona? But at, at this point in time... Simon, as, as known in Huddersfield, <laughs> as, yeah, it's known in Huddersfield as Simon Baldry syndrome, is that you probably yeah. might not remember Simon Baldry. I like Danny Ward's well. first spell when he scored that hat trick. Yeah, but um, like yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. It doesn't matter at this point. You know, we need to to do what we can to survive. And I think, you know, if we do survive, you know, touch wood. But he, he, you know, for me, he's he's been the main man. Really, you could argue in the yeah. last couple of games. And um, yeah, I think it's incredible. And it's always it's always good to see. I think um, like players who've shown that potential. You know, you know, it comes back because let's be honest. If this didn't happen, Karoma's career would have ended at Town, and it would have been a shame, really, because we saw those good points. It's kind of, I think, we've had a few players like that where they've shown glimpses, but um, unfortunately, it's not worked out. I mean, Bakuna's the one that springs to mind for me, but um, yeah, Karoma's, you know, absolutely one of the first names on the team sheet, and, and you know, deserves to start, and is um, you know, putting in those killer performances. Yeah, and, and I think the thing is as well, it's nice to have... We've, we've gone all season with looking so poor, haven't we, in the final third? Because everybody's predict, everybody that we had was predictable. It was slow. It was mundane. And now you've got Brahima Diara. I can't say his name today. So you've got Brahima Diara up there. You've got Josh Karoma. And all of a sudden, you've got that unpredictability up there. And all of a sudden, you've got players where defenders are worried. You know, defenders have the pipe and slippers on. You know, pipe, 
Pipe in the mouth slippers on, didn't they, earlier in the season? Now, Josh Caroma's running at you and Rahima Diara's doing things. And all of a sudden, the opposition have, have got something to worry about. And that, my friend, is good to see. Um, I have to say a couple of couple of other things as well. The disallowed goal Huddersfield got in the first half was absolute oh, bollocks. Absolute bollocks. And I know he blew early, so it may not have quite played out, but I thought the referee was horrendous the whole way through. Um, I thought he gave absolutely everything to Sunderland when he could. Uh, we are, I, I suppose we can be a bit of a niggly team. So, you know, quite a lot of, there probably were quite a lot of fouls in there. But there was, it was just the sort of consistency which riles you up. There was a few instances where there was barely a touch on a Sunderland player like on the goal and he's got his whistle in his mouth. And then Josh Caroma was pulled down out wide, no foul. And there was like Diara as well, no foul. And it's just that consistency which just riles you, doesn't it, in the away end. And to be fair, I'm up at the back of the away end. I can't quite see fully what's going on. So I might be talking nonsense. But it just felt like he was a bit of a homer on the day, out for an easy out for an easy night. And it was it was frustrating. But it was good of the players not to let that really turn, you know, turn it into a thing. And to be fair to the referee, Alex Pritchard, who had a lovely welcome back from Huddersfield fans in the home and away game, um, has has gone down in the box and a spineless referee keeps a penalty there. So, you know, fair play to the referees. He's seen Pritchard's dived and he's not given it. So I guess all's well that ends well on that score. But for me, that wasn't a penalty. And the Pritchard stuff... I, I just look at it as pantomime, to be honest. Um, it's not, it's not, it wasn't really nasty, nasty. It was just, you know, what a waste of money. Although he did get called a, a banker a couple of times, which I think is understandable given uh, given a couple of things maybe that went on. Uh, the Alex Pritchard thing is frustrating because I did a couple of things for Sunderland um, podcast fanzines, etc. And I'm just saying the reason why, because they, they're quite like him up there and, they would say, you know, what, what's going on with Alex Pritchard? I don't understand why you hate him so much. And it's just like, and the easy way to explain it to them is just to say, look, he's he's our version of Jack Rodwell, if you like. You know, we we brought him in for 11 and a half million quid. What was it, 40 grand a week or something? And mm-hmm. then he didn't deliver, which is fine. That's not his fault necessarily in the Premier League. He's, he's been signed for the Premier League before and flopped. You know what I mean? It's not really particularly good scouting from Huddersfield. But, and I felt at the time he was the wrong fit for us as well, I'll be honest. But when we went down, we then expected to see a different Alex Pritchard running games. And instead, he was always injured. And, you know, there was the incident, I think it was Danny Cowley said that Alex Pritchard's refusing to play because, I'm, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but he said Alex, Pritch, Alex Pritchard's refusing to play because of the cyst on his knee. And it was more of a psychosomatic injury whereby he felt like he was going to injure it rather than it being injured. So he was very sort of, worried about it going when they were trying to sort of say to him, look, it's a cyst, it's not going to tear, it's not going to snap, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, he was sent, he was he was essentially sent home early, wasn't he? At the end of his contract, he was he was binned off in April. He, he, he got uh, he got sent and, and told not to bother to come back, you know. And when things like that happen, you just think, oh, it must have been a, a bad apple. And fans hear that and they think, wow, he's getting paid till June 30th, probably 20-odd grand a week in the championship. And he's sat there playing on his Xbox and not training or doing anything. It's easy for fans to get resentful, isn't it? And annoyed at that when, because we'd, we'd love to play for, well, we'd, well, when we were fit and young, maybe you could still do it, Brady, be centre-back and stuff. But we'd have loved to have like gone to Huddersfield and we'd have worked so hard, wouldn't we, if we'd have had that opportunity. So when you see 
people just kind of like go, yeah, whatever, can't be bothered. It, it frustrates you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, I'll just I'll touch quickly on what you said about the the ref, and then come on to Pritchard. Uh, ref for me, bad game. But unfortunately, like, and I don't want to be one of these. But every every weekend in the championship, in any fixture, in quite a few fixtures, there's always terrible refereeing decisions. I'm one of these that like it. Unfortunately, it's just going to happen. And like I say, Pritchard's going to die. But like, look, then that um, in the home game we had against him, Pritchard scored and shushed everyone. And like, you know, it's one of the typical... Pantomime, you're exactly right. Um, the thing is, what we should say about Pritchard with that system, the knee as well, was, you know, he did an interview with the Athletic after he got released with town and he said that wasn't true, you know, and I think if Dan Cowley's saying that, if Pritchard's saying that, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't... I don't particularly care. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like um, I was like that. I, yeah, I didn't boo him. I just I wasn't that bothered. Just like yeah, I just it. To be honest, I think I've said this before on the podcast. So um, like, apologies to this annoys listeners, but for me, he was the one that disappointed me the most. Most out of him, Benzo himself and Dear Carl, because I felt he was the one who could probably come in and hit the ground running the most, and it didn't happen. Look, transfers don't happen. The issue was Huddersfield don't spend ten million plus on a player. Um, just for it to, you know, it has to go right. He was, you know, it just didn't work out. It sometimes it didn't work out. I think there's loads of reasons why we're a bit, but we don't need to go into it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like um, I find it a bit weird, and I'm not saying this is the entire fan base, but like, you know, um, people can boo Pritchard. I think you can maybe argue there's there's more reason. But I wouldn't do it personally. But then people boo Carlin Grant. Um, and, you know, like, I know there's reasons for that as well. But he also scored the goals to keep us up. I think people boo, you know, like fans will always boo players regardless. And I, I, to be honest, sometimes I don't think it's even necessarily about the player. I think you could even argue with Pritchard potentially. You're criticising him because it's a wider, it says wider about how it's a mismanagement from from the club and they've made a wrong decision, you know, Um I don't know. It's an it's an interesting debate, but I don't care about Pritchard. You know, like I think he's always going to have an extra incentive to perform well with us. But um, I don't, I don't, I don't care about that. I just, I just want town to win. You know, I, I, yeah. I, don't well, I was more interested <laughs> in singing pro Huddersfield songs than anti exactly. ones because you feel like the team needs the support, don't you? But it's it's some yeah. you know for everyone's different, and sometimes it's just all fun of the fair and pantomime. As long as it doesn't spill yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. Nasty, then it's all good fun. Yeah, don't go first. And I thought the noise in the away end was really good as well. I think that's, uh, I thought town fans were excellent on the night, got really got behind the team. And it's, they've done that ever since Neil Warnock's come in. And I thought the, the town fans are certainly trying to play, or they are playing their part, aren't they now? I thought you could, you thought you could legitimately say they were quite quiet earlier in the season. You can understand why we were crap, you know, and no amount of noise would have probably changed that, to be honest. But I think now, I think sometimes, I think fans like us forget that it just getting behind them and sort of keep going that adds that extra 1% and it can make the difference sometimes and the, the players and the support and managers do say that um, and I think Huddersfield fans are leaving leaving grounds at the minute with their voices hoarse and you know it's a credit to credit to credit to town fans families is what I'm trying to say there Brady so um, yeah the yeah. town fans have been excellent of late and they deserve a lot of uh, a lot of praise and, Absolutely. Uh, I'm gonna. Sorry, Matt. I'm gonna do. A, I'm gonna do a cosy here and, and jump in and ask you a question. Oh, you're gonna ruin um, it. Oh. oh, that's fine. That's fine. 
No, you just right, okay, so... ransack the agenda. That's Cosy's thing. No, 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 no. Cosy's well, getting actually, some heat in this. You should have invited him in. No, no. He, Let's he, see where he, he is and invite him. He's not, he's not fragile <laughs> like myself. Oh, no, we love Cosy. Um, <laughs> the bear. The question, the question I was going to ask you was, um, obviously, we, we kind of talked about, because we've got a bit of a break. Obviously, it's not till it's like, you know, a week and a half until the Cardiff game. Um, maybe a little bit less now, but how do you feel with this break now? Do you, you know, because I know you were a bit worried after the Swans again and you even made it clear on, on the pod, but do you feel a bit more positive in between this break? Or I suppose we'll come on to talk about the results that, from the other teams, but how, how are you feeling with this gap? Are you nervous or are you, you know, feeling a bit more positive? Yeah, I don't like it. Um, 12, <laughs> I don't like it. I didn't, I haven't changed my opinion. It's just circumstance, isn't it? It's not really anyone's fault. Sheffield United you know, got to the semi-final. Um, I would rather be the one who's got points on the board rather than the one chasing, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. So we can talk about the other midweek results now, if you want. But shall we? Shall we go to a quick advert and then we'll um, and then we'll come. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cozzy, what's your favorite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, look at that, giving people a reason to come back. Love it. Okay. Uh, so there's one of those adverts that we have no control over that have just gone through. So if it's something you don't agree with, nothing I can do about that apart from start paying for stuff again. <laughs> right. So um, midweek. So, yeah, you asked me about the 12-day gap. And, yeah, I don't like it just because of what I said about, you know, Huddersfield Town. I prefer to set the pace. And I think pressures are different as well. I think the pressure is different when you're having to get points than, than you are sort of pushing as well. I don't really think the town players themselves react much differently one way or the other it's me who reacts differently you know what i mean i prefer to uh i prefer to have that cushion before going to the game but it's going to be awkward and this saturday will tell us a lot um qpr burnley have pissed me right off lately they are really <laughs> pissing me off honestly they've absolutely whacked everyone all season and now it's come to the end and some companies dicking about and giving points to rather rather and Reading, and I'm just like, fuck's sake, Burnley. You know what I mean? And so, can we trust Burnley on Saturday? Probably not. Uh, they're playing QPR, aren't they? Um, so, that's correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're playing because I haven't looked, but I think they're playing QPR. And Reading, are they away at Coventry? Is that are those the two results? Bring uh, them up, they Reading. Are well, I've got them on screen like a good little assistant. That I am. Yeah, so Burnley are playing QPR at home, Cardiff are playing Stoke at home, and Coventry are playing Reading at home. Uh, no, I mean, Cardiff have gone above us. Cardiff have yeah. gone above us. Stoke lost to Wigan the other day. So Stoke are a funny, funny team. I think they've tuned out maybe a little bit in some respects. So I expect Cardiff to win that. 
and continue, but that might not be a bad thing. Uh, if Cardiff, I think Cardiff got three games in six days, maybe if I'm wrong. But part of me is thinking, do you know what? I would not hate Cardiff to win two of those. I think Rotherham away is one of them. If Cardiff win both of those, then they're safe by the time we go there on Sunday. And that might not be the worst thing in the world, you know, a Cardiff win. Uh, I know it decreases the chances of going down because it makes it less teams in it, but I'm still looking at Reading and QPR and I'm hoping QPR just implode, to be honest. But QPR have got... These two games are, are fine because I, I expect and hope, Touchwood, that Reading and QPR lose on Saturday. And if they do, it's not too bad. I can, we can breathe a little bit easier, can't we? Uh, we've got a little bit less pressure and hopefully when we go to Cardiff, it's not too bad. But I expect we'll be in the bottom three by the time we go to Cardiff um, due to the following weekend as well. Um, I think Reading beat, St- uh, Reading beat Wigan uh, the week after. Uh, I can't see any other result, but Reading, I think it's Reading versus Wigan. One of them has Wigan. Yeah, yeah, Reading. So Reading, I think, have Wigan, don't they? Um, I can't see anything but a Reading win there. Um, and then QPR, I've got another difficult one, haven't they? Um Second to last, I think they've got Bristol City at home on the last day, haven't they? Which is winnable, uh, but I think they've got another slightly difficult one, haven't they? Second to last, which you're going to tell me what it is now. Got Bristol last game of the season, uh, and then their next results they are playing. I think they've only got three games left, they're playing Stoke. Stoke, right? So, Stoke, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Stoke away. You don't know what's going to happen with Stoke there. QPR could win that game. And if QPR win that game, Reading beat Wigan, where we are needing really to beat one of Cardiff and Sheffield United. Um, I think we have to win one of those two games. Oddly, I'm looking at Sheffield United and wondering, and we've had this conversation, I'm looking at that thinking, Sheffield United are obviously the second best team in the league. No qualms about that. They're actually one of the top form teams in the league at the minute as well, which is highly frustrating. But if they're... If they're in second, can't do any better than second just after an FA Cup semi-final. Is that a good time to play them? I know there's never probably never so. a good time to play Sheffield United in terms of this league, but that might be as good as it gets in terms of playing them. Um, and then Town are having to play three games in the last week, aren't they? Which in eight days, which a little bit tricky. So will we be leggy for Reading? I'm not sure. Um, will we get momentum? I'm not sure, but. One thing I want to avoid is having a shootout with Reading and being the team in the bottom three going into that into that final game. Um, for me, I would I would just love us to just beat Cardiff and Sheffield United and then have that Reading game with with our feet up. You know what I mean? But it's it's gonna go it's gonna go right to the end. It's it, it's looking like it could potentially be a shootout between us and Reading, and we might need to beat Reading on the last game of the season to stay up. And, I don't yeah. like it. Cause, I mean, Mark- yeah, because people like me and Cosy, we've got PTSD from that Birmingham game in 2001 where everything transpired against us in the last week to send us down. We got, I think we got uh, last three games, I think we got two draws. We needed three points from three games or something, and we got two. We got a draw, draw, loss. And uh, it was upsetting, and it took us 11 years to get back up. Well, I'm going to, because I feel like, and especially on the Monday part after the Swansea game, I, I think you you brought the negativity, Matt, it was fair, or the pessimism, it was fair to say. So I'm going to bring some optimism. Burnley playing at home against QPR on Saturday. Um, and I still don't will, trust them. I think if they, no, but I think they'll play a strong team because I think they'll win the title. Uh, if they yeah, they were. Yeah, and that's at home. So I, I think they'll win that. 
Um, Coventry getting that 96 minute equaliser with the goalkeeper against Blackburn. I love stories like that. They've got something to go in for against the Reading game. Um, so I I can't see Reading winning that, but I could maybe see it being a draw. Um, and then you look at the, obviously, Rotherham Cardiff. This is a question, actually, and you, you touched on it because we'll bring in some of the listener questions. But we've got a question from uh, Gazbrads9, which said, would you rather Cardiff win the next two and then they be safe by the time we play them? or them lose both and we battle it out, both teams, everything to play for. For me, like I said to you, I actually feel more confident um, playing Sheffield United because I think our style under Warnock suits a team who's going to come at us, um, whereas I think the, it might be very cagey with Cardiff. So personally, I think I think Rotherham are safe anyway. I'm not even including them in this relegation shootout. So I'd actually like Rotherham to beat Cardiff and I'd like Cardiff to lose against Stoke. Um, just because I think that pressure will get to them as, as well. Whereas, um, weirdly, I think if the pressure was off for Cardiff, they'd probably win that. Yeah, I mean, look at Swansea and they're top of the form table and they've got nothing to play for and they're just smashing teams left, right, centre at the minute. Yeah. So you, you never know how it's going to go, do you? It's, a lot of people just sort of say, just say, there's nothing you can do, wait and see. And they're probably Yeah, ways. but the thing is though, Matt, if, um, like I say, if you before that Norwich game I know I keep saying it it might be my catchphrase for the season but if you said to me before that Norwich game three games left of the season it's going to be in your hands to stay up and you're out of the relegation zone you know I know by the time Cardiff it might not be the case I, I, I would have been like what are you talking about no, I'd be quite happy with that now to be honest never mind against before Norwich <laughs> so yeah exactly so I think um, and look like it's very easy to predict like to say you can predict stuff, but I wouldn't have expected Reading to be one nil up against Luton, who are incredibly in form and like you know then end up drawing the game. There is going to be some surprises. I don't. I, I never thought Cardiff were going to be in in the conversation. I thought it's a for me it's a final it's a shootout between three teams for that final slot. I think Blackpool and we're going to done. We can actually do have a good record against teams in the bottom six. I think around yeah there, they so do. Maybe they could do us a favour. But yeah, I think it's between us, Reading and QPR for that final slot. And although QPR were better um, last night against Norwich, I I don't know. I think I think it's I think QPR could be the one who slips in because I just don't see them scoring enough goals. Whereas they don't like, win. We're they don't win, do they? They they should have probably won last win. night. They should have probably won yeah. last night, and they should have probably Put won this. against West Brom. So yeah. I don't know. Sometimes it could be a mental thing, but then again, you look at it and go, "Well, they've got bloody Willock, they've got Chair, they've got Dykes." You know what I mean? They should be winning games. So I don't know. I think if we focus on ourselves and we get the wins, then happy, and then whoever the, goes down, the positive it's fine. It's we've not lost. Us. Yeah, the positive we lost one in seven, so we've hit form at the right time. And that loss but actually I, doesn't look that bad now. Swansea no. spanked Preston and everyone before them, so it's yeah. maybe not as bad as what we thought. But anyway, mate, we've got ten minutes left. Fire some listener questions in. So you uh, threw some questions out, didn't you, on social media? So get some of those fired in, rude boy, and we'll... Uh... <laughs> rude boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, I suppose this was what we're touching on, but Jack Natras says, given the games in hand um, we'll have on teams around us, how deep into the bottom three will we be come the Cardiff game? I just think we'll be third bottom. I don't see... I think we'll be third uh, bottom. Yeah, that's fine. Um, the... Joanne says, "Will Sky ruin our last game and select it for TV?" I can um, TV no, like you can't. On the last game of the season, you can't. Um, 
They can put it on TV, but they can't put it at a different time to everyone else. They've all got to kick off at the same time. So it could be on TV, but it has to kick off at the same time as everyone else. I don't yeah. think it matters. But yeah, they could. Cool. They could. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think it matters. Um, what else were we going to ask? Oh, uh, Nick Jenkinson touching on um, some of the hog thing we said earlier. Was he said, "Are we better without Jonathan Hogg and the team?" Um, I'd say Hoggy's never going to play forty six, and I think he still has his place in certain games. And I think it's just horses for courses yeah. based on certain game. Bit of a boring answer. <laughs> um, I think it's worth yeah, pointing uh, out on Hogg, though, that 18 months ago-ish, um, Carlos Corbran didn't think Jonathan Hogg was mobile enough to play midfield anymore and put him in the back line. Maybe maybe just over 12 months ago. And once Carlos Corbran's left, he's back in midfield and everyone's sort of suggesting that mobility-wise he's struggling a little bit. Maybe maybe Hoggy in the back line is the, the genius masterstroke. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe you can never write this guy off for me. I feel like people have written him off so many times that he keeps coming. He's like the Terminator, yeah. isn't he? Well, they write him off and he got Player of the Year next year, so you know. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's it pretty much, really, in terms of listener questions. Obviously, people are concerned about this season. We've got some questions about next season, like, um, oh, actually, we've got who, what does your retain list look like? So that's from Chris Ellis. So Chris had say we did one for if we were in League One. Um, but I tell you what, if we do stay up, we will do and we'll do, we'll do one a proper before. one, won't we? If, um, yeah, we'll do. A yeah, we'll one. we'll do a proper podcast. We'll, we'll, this content is content worthy, is that, isn't it? So we'll, um, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll do something. Fill, we'll uh, yeah, we've got to fill the blank space somehow, haven't we? So, so yeah, yeah, we'll do that as and when we know what's uh, what division we're in. Yeah. So, um, Matt, I suppose that's it really for the listener questions. Um, what I'll say to you then is: is there any? Um, is there any parting messages you want to give to the town fans when they do this on the warm up? Um, anything you want to say to them to help ease their nerves? Oh no, I'm probably the worst, the last person they want to hear from when it comes to easy nerves. <laughs> Obviously, I'm the most nervous one of the lot. Um, I think town fans just need to keep doing what they're doing. Um, they're making good noise in the ground. They're getting behind the players. It's working. Um, keep doing it. The free coaches to Cardiff's brilliant. All of them sold out, so there should be a better than usual following going to Cardiff. Pozzer's moaning about having to pay his own travel expenses now, isn't he? Now we've missed out on the free coaches. So whether Pozzer goes and appears, who knows? Um, but yeah, so just just town fans keep doing what you're doing and it's helping. I'm sure it's helping. Neil Warnock says it's helping. So if you can ramp it up even more, do so. Because I think we need everything, don't we, to get ourselves over the line. Yeah. Well said, Matt. And I'll I'll just add to that. It's town fans. It's in our own hands. My advice, um, given how I was trying to avoid the games last night when we weren't playing, um, never been so popular. I had like five different people messaging me about it. But um, five, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like I'm not that popular. But um, look, we're not playing on we're not playing on Saturday. So what I would suggest is distract yourself. Don't look at the other fixtures until the end. There's no point going through the stress of watching other teams' results coming in. Just check it when it's done uh, and then we can go in there it's in our own hands um, oh, really I was waiting for you to say check yourself before you wreck yourself that seemed like a perfect opportunity for you to say something it's like that now I feel bad can we do it again no we can't but yeah just um, look it's uh, it's all to play for We've got our last two games are at home and uh, this is a little town we never make things easy for ourselves you should have known this by now so um, let's you know let's see what happens against Sheffield United and uh, Reading but, and obviously I did say in my uh, 
drunken stupor a couple of weeks ago that I thought we would stay up by beating Cardiff because of the narrative. So let's hope that comes true. Up the town. There's a team that is dear to its followers The colours are bright, blue and white They're a team of renown They're the pride of the town And the game of football is their delight And all while upon the field of play Thousands loudly cheer them on the way Often you can hear them say Who can beat the town today? And then the bells will ring so merrily Every goal shall be a memory So town play up And bring that cup Back to Huddersfield So town play up And bring the cup Back to Huddersfield Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, not nugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.